please accept my apology for the quality of this recording. Thank you. Welcome back to our video studies in the Gospel of Mark. We are in a very lengthy chapter this time, Mark chapter 14. Either I'm going to have to talk very fast or you're going to have to listen very fast. Let's do both of those and those methods will get us through Mark chapter 14. First, my read-through with very brief comments, and then when the read-through is complete, my final observations and takeaways. We need to get started right away. Mark 14, I'm going to take up three paragraphs in the first section that I will read, and that will be Mark 14, 1 through 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before for burial. And truly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. The enemies of Jesus are ready to carry out his execution, but they are streetwise, not wanting to cause an uproar among the people. Violence is sometimes accompanied by an eye toward the population. The word here in the ESV is, interestingly, stealth. Jesus is anointed at Bethany about this woman who anointed Jesus against objections. Jesus had no criticism. In fact, he said, she has done a beautiful thing. The betrayal of Judas. How do we explain that? There's one word in verse 11, and that word is money. Continuing the read through, I'm going to take us from 12 over to 25, Mark 14, verses 12 through 25. 
And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after the other, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I'm at verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The Passover was such an important time for the Jews who observed the law of Moses. Here again, Jesus' divine knowledge was active. The plan of God was carried out in the preparation of the guest room. Jesus spoke of the betrayal of Judas and the Lord's Supper was instituted as reported by Mark in verses 22 through 25. Again, Jesus' divine knowledge was active according to what we're going to read now from 26 down to 31. Mark 14, 26 down to 31. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, 
if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. There will, of course, be a follow-up to this later in the chapter. Let's go ahead. 32 to 42. Mark 14, 32 to 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. One of the most important things we learn about Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that he was a praying man. Frequently and fervently, Jesus prayed. How much more should we be involved in prayer? And this is an account of his prayer in Gethsemane, also recorded in John, Luke, and Matthew. His betrayal and arrest, we are at verse 43 in Mark chapter 14. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and uh, 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 one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Notice the betrayal 
and arrest had been written in the prophets. Jesus said, let the scriptures be fulfilled. 51 through 65, Mark 14, 51 through 65. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Verse 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. <clears throat> now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him and their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Yet, even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. I'm uncertain what this first account is about in verses 51 and 52. Some commentators speculate the young man was Mark himself. I don't know that. The trial before the high priest and the other Jewish leaders says a lot about these men as to motive, tactics, dishonesty, illegal procedures, and malice. Jesus' brief remarks in verses 61 and 62 relating, I think, back to his prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem should have been chilling in the ears and minds of those who heard this. Back to Peter, 66 to 72, will take us to the end of Mark chapter 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus? But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. 
And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter was afraid, not justified in his fear, but he was afraid, denied Jesus, even cursed in his response. And this, of course, was in sync with what Jesus had already said would happen. And the very last verse in Mark 14 says that Peter remembered. So that's a very lengthy chapter where Mark documents the events of Thursday and Friday during the last week of Jesus leading to the cross. There are a lot of things I'd like to address in Mark chapter 14. I'm going to take a breather here and we'll be back in just a second. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time on this point because it is so apparent and often repeated in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Jewish leaders who took Jesus to the cross exhibit all the traits that leaders should study to avoid. And indeed, all of us ought to avoid. If you were to make a list, you would have trickery, malice, violence, self-interest, pride, rebellion against God, finding false witnesses, taking the testimony of false witnesses. No leader should imitate these traits, and none of us should think or act like these men. When leaders or non-leaders, servants, act this way, God isn't in their hearts. So let's mark that down every time we read about the enemies of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Examples not to follow. Judas, same thing. Money, betrayal, suicide. Jesus chose him, washed his feet, taught him. Can't blame Judas' teacher. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Peter's denial. Someone wrote one time, the rock disintegrates into a pile of sand. Now, what is that remark about? Jesus gave Peter the name that means rock. But the rock here disintegrates into a pile of sand. This episode evokes our horror and perhaps in some ways, perhaps some understanding if we've sinned in this manner. We understand how tempting it is to withdraw from the heat. When it gets difficult, we may want to go away. We may say before a crisis, I'm going anywhere with Jesus and I'm gonna stand firm. But then under pressure, we may fall behind Fear gets hold of us, and the bravery we said we had, we do not really have in the moment of testing. 
Anytime we read in scripture of the spiritual collapse of anyone, Judas, Peter, Demas, or anyone, we must not just boast, but fortify ourselves with the word of God against that sad end. Many Christians today do not face the fierce persecution that engulfed first Christians in the New Testament. Few today are forced to choose between Christ or prison or execution. Consequently, our denials of Christ may come in more subtle forms. Timid silence, social compromise. We try to blend into the crowd, maybe of our master's enemies, because we do not want to be jeered by the others or rock the boat. We have no guarantee that fierce persecution will not come our way or that our children and grandchildren will not be persecuted for their faith, but rather than try to predict all of that and complain about what might be in the future. What is urgent is that we use the word of God to fortify ourselves against what may be our hearing of the rooster crowing, so to speak. Can it be said of us that we do what we can? Did you hear that in verse 8 where Jesus said she has done what she could? You know, vocabulary, the words we use can reveal our innermost thoughts and attitudes. Think about this. Which word can you use most? Can or can't? Perhaps we have inadvertently programmed ourselves inside to repeat almost impulsively, I can't. I can't do that. We can't do that. It's impossible. There is little doubt, however, that when we are connected to God through Jesus Christ and we seek not our own glory, we ought to be people who think in strong terms of possibilities of what we can do more specifically what God can do through us. Jesus said of this good woman, she did what she could. May that be true of us, if not in the past, in the future. No matter who we are, we can do what she did. We can do what we are able to do. Now, we shouldn't think of duplicating what she did in the exact form we do not have the body of Jesus with us in the direct physical sense. But the question is, are we doing all we are able to do? You remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and the primary lesson of that parable? Not doing more than someone else, but doing your best with what you have, whatever ability you have. Not every Christian can do what every other Christian is doing First, that would be boring, but more important, our purpose is not to imitate someone. The Lord's Supper. This is critical. And it can be captured in one word, remember. The Jewish Passover was an event set up by God for the people to remember their birth as a nation, to be thankful to God for giving them their freedom from Egypt. 
Jesus takes two of the elements of that feast and re-signifies them to set up another memorial. For Christians to remember what happened to give us our freedom from sin. In the midst of celebrating one great event in God's plan for his nation in the past, Jesus institutes another feast for all his people of whatever nation to remember what he did for us. Now it is not national deliverance from a superior nation. No, now in, in the minds and lives of Christians, it is individual deliverance from the bondage of sin made possible by God through the death of Christ. Remember this, look back to his death. And one key word in this is covenant. And in verse 24, it says new covenant, new covenant, not involving animal blood, but the giving of Jesus life blood shed for many. So there was a meal and an event under the old covenant that looked back to their deliverance from Egypt. But it also looked forward to a future deliverance from sin by the blood of Christ. And that's what we remember every first day of the week. First Corinthians 5, 7 declares Christ is our Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed for us. See, the slaying of the lamb back in the time of Moses clearly foreshadowed the sacrifice of Christ so that we can be forgiven of sin. But we are not charged to celebrate the old covenant Passover, but Christians are charged today to remember the death of our Passover lamb, Jesus, who shed his blood for many. We do this every first day of the week at Laurel Heights, we do that as the apostles instructed. Mark chapter 14. Thank you for listening.